Well, I'd like to begin by reading uh, four different sections of Scripture that all deal with uh, the subject that we're going to look at tonight. So, First uh, Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two, and we'll read verses one through five. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, just one verse here, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. For we are not like many peddling the word of God. There were, he says there were many that peddled the word of God. But we're, he said we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God we speak in Christ in the sight of God. And then uh, chapter 4 Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So, twice he mentioned what we do, we do in the sight of God. And then First <clears throat> uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll read a little longer section here. First Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 3. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Again, the idea of speaking as before God. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, 
how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly, devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, all of these scriptures, in one way or another, had to do with the proclamation of the gospel. And uh, uh, the subject, what I just want to look at briefly here tonight, is the proper propagation of the gospel. The proper propagation of the gospel. Uh, as we seek to propagate the truth, the truths of the gospel, we must be careful not to use methods that under, undermine the gospel. And that's uh, what Paul and uh, others here have been bringing out in the sections, actually all were Paul, uh, bringing out in these sections we, we read. Um, there are strategies and techniques and methods that distort or even deny the very gospel that people are supposedly supposedly trying to present by using those techniques and methods. Now, there have been a number of books that have been written by secular psychiatrists uh, that say that conversion is brought about by a shrewd means of psychological techniques and uh, propaganda techniques. Um, one of those was written back in the 1950s, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a response to that particular accusation um, in a little book that he called Conversion, Psychological and Spiritual. And he said that, indeed, there are conversions that are based on psychology. Um, things that have crept into modern evangelism that bring about a type of conversion that's merely psychological. That's not truly a spiritual conversion. And uh, so he wrote a little booklet to deal with that uh, issue. Uh, and, of course, a psychological conversion is not a true conversion, not a biblical conversion. Uh, they may have been converted from one thing to another, but they weren't converted to Christ. Um, it's not really a psychological conversion. If you can explain it psychologically, uh, then it's not the real thing. Uh, a true conversion involves the work of the Holy Spirit, and you're not going to explain that psychologically. Uh, he maintained, that is, Martin Lloyd-Jones maintained, that we must be very careful about avoiding anything that leads to a suspicion that our evangelistic endeavors um, are some form of conditioning, uh, bringing about a, a psychological change in the person's life. Now, the basic thing I want us to get a hold of tonight is this, and I'm, uh, I'll probably repeat this, but let me just say, say it here at the beginning. God wants only glad-hearted, willing surrender of people's hearts to himself, which comes through belief in the truth. That's what God wants. 
glad-hearted, willing surrender of our hearts to himself, which comes through belief in the truth. We must therefore avoid the use of coercive techniques, psychological manipulation, and propaganda in our evangelistic endeavors. I've actually been reading quite a bit about propaganda and brainwashing lately, and I'd like to present some of those things, but I'm not going to do it tonight. Uh, But it is a very interesting subject, and you can see uh, how uh, a person that didn't understand Christianity would would, uh, make some association between what happens uh, in uh, a lot of evangelistic settings and what they see in the techniques of brainwashing and propaganda. But I'm not going to get too far into that tonight. Um, Let me just uh, share a few thoughts here, though, about this subject of propaganda. It's interesting where the word actually came from because uh, it's a Latin word that was used by the Roman Catholic Church in 1623 for for an organization within the church to propagate the faith. That's where the word propaganda actually first uh, came into uh, use. It was used by the uh, Roman Catholic Church. So the word originally meant the propagation of information or doctrine. But because of the way that information and doctrine was propagated, it has come to mean uh, persuasive methods that short-circuit critical thinking and deliberately seek to manipulate people to gain a desired response. So you short-circuit um, critical thinking and deliberately seek to manipulate people. That's what propaganda has, the connotations that it has for us today. I just wanted to read you, this is uh, Baker's Dictionary of Christian Ethics, and so it had a little bit of a definition here, or a little section here. Propaganda constitutes a major ethical problem because it limits a person's freedom of choice by its calculated avoidance of a fair presentation of factors necessary for sound decision-making. So there needs to be a fair presentation of the factors necessary for sound decision-making. If you don't have a fair presentation, you make a decision on the basis of insufficient information. Um, Propagandists frequently deal with outright falsehoods, but more often dispense half-truths and utilize special motivating devices that trigger immediate, often irrational responses. So they get you to make a response that's not really thought through on the basis of of, uh, truth and rationality. So that's that's the way the propaganda works. Emotional appeals, appeals are maximized and logical appeals are minimized. If you um, look at the speeches of Hitler, for instance, that's a good example of propaganda and, and much of what went on in Nazi Germany, but that's, that's an extreme form. Anyway, the point is that, that emotional uh, appeals are maximized, logical appeals are minimized. And Satan is the master propagandist. If you want to really know where the best techniques for propaganda can be found, just look at the way Satan deals with people because he's a master at it. Uh, he, he's underhanded, deceptive, shrewd, and cunning. 
The word that the Bible uses for him is that he is crafty. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And verse 3. For I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve, that is the devil, how did he do it? By his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So the craftiness of the devil. If you want to have a good word that kind of uh, summarizes much of what goes on in the area of propaganda, and uh, psychological manipulation. That's a good word to describe it. Crafty. Craftiness. Uh, His ways and words are the opposite of speaking the truth in love. You can be sure that's not what the devil does. He did not speak the truth in love. They're at the opposite ends of the pole. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 because he's talking here about Uh, those who would try to deceive us. And uh, again, this word craftiness comes up. Ephesians chapter 4, 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. So you see, it's it's just the opposite. Craftiness uh, is um, the way of the devil. It's the way uh, people who are trying to get us off track mislead us. Uh, That's the way they deal with us, crafty. In fact, um, you you might say it this way, as far as... The presentation of the gospel, there should be no deceitful scheming, no trickery, and no craftiness in our presentation of the gospel. So, uh, here I've tried to list just a few things that we should be very leery of. We should not use these methods, and we should be aware if they're being used on us, okay? This is a very uh, brief uh, presentation of this, but at least it'll give us a a place of uh, beginning to think about this. Now, it's not like we haven't before, but um, I think it is helpful just to step back sometimes and realize these things are being used, and we need to be careful not to use them ourselves. Okay, uh, the first we've already kind of hit on as one of the primary uh, means of propaganda, and that is appealing primarily to the emotions. Appealing primarily to the emotions. Now, there's nothing wrong with uh, things that do stir our emotions, but if you're appealing primarily to the emotions, there's something wrong. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way. Another important principle is that in presenting the Christian gospel, we must never, in the first place, 
make a direct appeal either to the emotions or to the will. The emotions and the will should always be influenced through the mind. Truth is intended to come to the mind. The normal course is for the emotions and the will to be affected by the truth after it has first entered and gripped the mind. It seems to me that this is a principle of the Holy Scriptures. The approach to the emotions and the will should be indirect. So if you've got somebody, or if you try to do this yourself, to try to sway the person primarily through the emotions, you're not scriptural. That's, that's a way that would not be uh, um, acceptable to the Lord. He never did that, and he doesn't want us doing that. So don't do it, and be careful if it's being done to you. Uh, some examples would be the use of tear-jerking stories to try to get you to get up front or whatever, sign the card. Um, emotional music can do that. Now, that, again, you know, it's, it's putting these things in the prominent place. It's not that you couldn't use an emotional story. It's not that there's music shouldn't sway our emotions uh, but putting these things in the prominent place and trying to use them as a means to get a person to Christ, that is something wrong there, you see, as the primary uh, means. Here's another one. A emphasis on Christ's physical sufferings. This is kind of a slippery one because uh, we think, well, that should be something that uh, we hear about. But if if that's trying, if it's used to try to sway your emotions there's something wrong there the bible you know uh the bible says very little about the physical sufferings that christ went through in fact it's it's almost uh uh like when i read it it's like why wasn't there more said because and they took him and crucified him and that's what it's, that's it you know doesn't tell about all the agony and things there well the problem is that some evangelists spend a great deal of time on that to try, I think, often to make any, a play upon your emotions. Um, Jesus does not seek the sympathy, sympathy of depraved men through the physical portrayal of his sufferings. He doesn't try to do that. The Bible doesn't try to do that. Uh, in the Bible, the primary concern was the spiritual sufferings and death in the death of the Lord, the agony of bearing the sin of the world upon himself and the accompanying separation from God. That's where the Bible puts the emphasis, not on the physical sufferings. But, but people will do that in order to try to play upon the emotions. Now, here's one that's uh, somewhat similar, I think. Uh, an emphasis on the physical sufferings of the sinner in hell. It can be, that can be used to produce a profound effect upon people, but the effect is not spiritual, it's psychological. The Bible really doesn't say that much about the physical sufferings of the person in hell talks about separation from God and the, the terribleness of that, but 
if if the person that's presenting the gospel supposedly puts a big emphasis on the physical sufferings of the person in hell I think a lot of times what they're trying to do is sway the emotions and uh, much of that is psychological it's not a spiritual thing so just a couple things there but the overall thing is appealing primary primarily to the emotions now the next one and this one kind of goes with that is the idea that somehow in evangelism the ends justify the means if I want to bring about some, the idea is if I want to bring about something that's good like getting someone to be a Christian then it's justified to use methods that may not be completely fair and trustworthy now that sleeps uh, it, it sneaks in subtly and you wouldn't really say it that way I'm going to do something that's not good in order to get something good but the idea is there in a lot of what goes on in some forms of evangelism um, the use of flattery God could really use you if you'd get converted you know He's been waiting for somebody just like you. Or, you know, there's a lot of gain for, by becoming a Christian. I mean, you could be healthy and wealthy. and You know, the, some people that are doing that really think that they're, they're helping God out. They think they're doing something good, even though I think deep down they realize that some of this isn't quite biblical. Um, another way of saying it is just downplaying the cost of, of discipleship. You're not really upfront about what it means to become a Christian because you know that's going to turn some people off. So you downplay the cost of discipleship in order to get people to make a profession of faith. And maybe afterward, if they do make that profession, you kind of start sneaking in, well, it actually does mean this. Well, that whole mindset of the end justifies the means is unscriptural. Let us do evil that good may come. Uh, another thing that Martin Lloyd-Jones mentions, and this is kind of a product of, of the psychological manipulation is that uh, he says that if you see converts that are like peas in a pod the so-called cookie cutter Christians and they dress the same they speak the same they pray the same they use the same phrases um, you should suspect that there has been some psychological manipulation and not true spiritual conversion and because that's what the manipulation will produce. True spiritual conversion brings people of all kinds of different quirks and personalities together, and uh, it's, it doesn't make them all say the same thing and dress the same way. So he says that's uh, kind of a mark of the more psychological uh, approach to uh, evangelism so uh, let's see number four 
put this one as a question. Does this way of presenting Christ exalt a man or a group? Does it make use of human cleverness and showmanship or persuasive words of men's wisdom? Now that's, again, that's... uh, uh, I mean, you saw it happening uh, uh, somewhat in the New Testament even. People started following this particular guy or that particular guy. And... uh, if a person is trying to be clever, if a person's trying to be known for their oratory uh, and their persuasive words, uh, you better steer clear of it because that's going to produce a psychological conversion and not true spiritual conversion. Uh, so exalting a man or even a group. Number five, does this way of presenting Christ clarify the true meaning of the message or obscure it and make it hard to understand? Again, it's, this is somewhat similar. Uh, some people try to make things hard to understand so that it seems more intellectual. You know, the idea is if you, people can't understand it, obviously I know more than you do because you can't understand what I'm saying. Um, and therefore you better listen to me (laughs) but uh, the idea there of trying to be viewed as an academic or an intellectual and Paul speaks directly against that when he talks about superiority uh, he said I did not come to you in superiority of speech or of wisdom so be careful of that kind of thing and now, this one would be almost just the opposite of that. Does this way of presenting Christ convey the seriousness of the gospel? Or is it so light and fluffy and casual that it makes it hard for the hearers to feel that the gospel is very important? I mean, there's a lot of evangelism today. Um, a serious-minded person is not going to take it seriously. It's too... It's too superficial. It's too fluffy. There's no seriousness about it. So, again, that type of thing um, will produce a, a, a psychological change in a person, but it's not going to be a true spiritual change. Um, you know, there has to be some sense when we're sharing with people that this is life and death. This isn't ho-hum, I have a little thing I'd like to tell you here today. Sometimes the gospel is trivialized by oversimplification and watered down with superficial cliches. I mean, it's pretty pitiful sometimes the way the glorious gospel of the blessed Lord is presented by people who supposedly are trying to to bring people to Christ a bunch of cliches that that uh, people have heard 15 times well does it does the presentation convey this seriousness 
of the gospel. And then lastly, and this is kind of uh, one that covers all of what we talked about, is there an overemphasis on techniques and methods which shows little reliance upon the Holy Spirit and a lack of faith in God's sovereignty? As if the production of converts was up to us. An overemphasis on techniques and methods with little reliance upon God. And the idea is, you know, uh, if I get the right technique and the right method, then this person will be converted. That's never, never presented in the scriptures. And I wanted to read to you, this is out of Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. He said, It is not right when we when we regard ourselves as responsible for securing converts and look to our own enterprise and techniques to accomplish what only God can accomplish. To do that is to intrude ourselves into the office of the Holy Spirit and to exalt ourselves as agents of the new birth. And the point that we must see is this. Only by letting our knowledge of God's sovereignty control the way in which we plan and pray and work in his service can we avoid becoming guilty of this fault. For where we are not consciously relying on God, you know, relying on some technique or some method, where we are not consciously relying on God, there we shall inevitably be found relying on ourselves. Again, some method, some technique, some way of getting this person twisted around to our position. We shall inevitably be found relying on ourselves. And the spirit of self-reliance is the blight on, is a blight on evangelism. Such, however, is the inevitable consequence of forgetting God's sovereignty in the conversion of souls. We are not responsible for securing converts. We're responsible in sh- for sharing the meth- mess- message, but not for securing converts. So, uh, that's all that I have here, but I want to restate what I said before. God wants only glad-hearted, willing surrender of our hearts to himself which comes about through belief in the truth. Therefore, we we must never use coercive techniques, psychological manipulation, or propaganda to try to bring people to faith. We shouldn't use it, and we need to be careful about those things being used on us. They, they, They are superficial. They will not last. And... It's a uh, it's a blight upon Christianity when those things are used.